Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Sarah. Sarah Roach Lewis is a feminist business strategist, an entrepreneur, facilitator, mentor, and coach with over 15 years of expertise and experience. She's the host of the Breakthrough Podcast, which is now on hiatus, and the founder and CEO of the SRL Solutions. Having lived with chronic disease throughout her entrepreneurial career, Sarah is forced to develop strategies and tools to succeed and go on, even when tired and facing unclear, an unclear future. In the process, she's learned not only to survive, but thrive in life and business. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. I would love to have you kick us off. Uh, we haven't had very many people with chronic illness on the podcast. I would say about three. Um, I would love for you to tell us when did you start notice something was going on? What were those symptoms? That sort of thing. And of course your diagnosis too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have Meniere's disease, which is an imbalance of fluid in the inner ear. It causes dizzy spells, hearing loss, tinnitus, like ringing in the ear. And in addition to the hearing loss, it, it causes a like sensitive hearing to certain tones. So I first started noting, noticing symptoms when I was about 14. Um, it was really quite active by the time I was 15 or 16. Took quite a while to get an official diagnosis. And then, uh, so my 20s, I was quite sick through most of my 20s. And then when I got pregnant with my oldest, it actually went away. Oh, wow. And yeah, I had a blissful a 10 year period when my kids were little that I had absolutely no symptoms. And I am now very grateful for that. (laughs) So it reared its head again about seven years ago. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, So what was the diagnosis process like? So right now my daughter my oldest daughter has all, we has undiagnosed medical problems and she's having all these issues. And I feel like her pediatrician, so she's now 18. So she has a new doctor. Um, her pediatrician was just throwing darts at the wall. Like, let's try this person. Let's try this person. And I'm like, but they're separate. Like all the, all those things are separate, like, um, symptoms, like what would it be all together? Um, which is her new doctor is looking at, but yeah, yeah, so it can be, it can be a struggle to get diagnosed with something, uh, when you have all these things going on, what was that like for you? Um, it was really challenging. I was quite young and quite sick and lived in rural, like, you know, in, in, in a rural place. Uh, so there was not a lot of great access to uh, specialists. So the process of getting diagnosed for this, there are a number of things that it it could also be. Um, 
and it was quite scary when I was young. It was really um, to the point where I was really nauseous and, you know, I would, I would spend days at a time in bed and, or, you know, in, in the bathroom throwing up. Um, and so in the early days, it was a period almost of elimination more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is it benign positional vertigo? Is it Meniere's disease? Is it brain tumor? You know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, we're sort of able to get to the place of um, recognizing that it was probably Meniere's disease. And I didn't really have great treatment. There's not really great treatment for it anyway. Um, and so when I had that long period of wellness, I actually kind of forgot about it. And when it reared its head again, my, my family doctor referred me to an ear, nose and throat specialist. And I, sorry, that was before it reared its head. Um, so there was a particular um, way of diagnosing you. And I don't even remember what that was because what ended up happening is I got pregnant and I couldn't do the the testing right when, and then so you know all these years later when I went back to my when I went back to the same ear nose and throat specialist you know, seven years later and I walked through you know what my experience had been and where I am now and what was going on he was able to very clearly say yeah this is Meniere's disease that's what you've got um there's not great treatment for it um particularly at sort of where I'm at right now. So he prescribed medicine and I get my hearing tested once, generally about once a year. And I go see him once a quarter. So four times a year um, to have my ears cleaned. One of the weird things that happens is they produce a lot of wax. Um, And so I just get those cleaned, um, get my medication refilled and have a little chat. (laughs) That's about it. So outside of that, how do you manage? Cause you said there's not a lot of treatment. Like I can imagine those things that you mentioned are kind of like a bandaid on a gaping yeah. wound. <laughs> so how do you manage with that? So really when this came back, I was working in the not-for-profit sector and I managed very poorly for a long time. And, um, yeah, I managed very poorly and it was very stressful. And about four years ago, it'll be four years in August, I had left the not-for-profit sector. I'd spent a year working in, um, with a small startup, um, and I had decided to go out on my own uh, to do consulting. And it was a really bizarre time, I think, to decide to go out on my own because I was quite ill. And I uh, was driving home. I live in the country, so I was on this country road. And I was driving home from work one day, and I had a drop spell, which are quite rare for me. And a bit, essentially, the world just sort of flips upside down. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, it's kind of like being on a roller coaster, but <laughs> in your car uh, while driving. So I sort of slowly pulled off to the side of the road and ended up, you know, driving into the ditch. And I didn't hurt myself and I didn't hurt the car, but it was a real wake up call. And the wake up call was, uh, so this is your life and you can choose to ignore it and feel a great deal of shame and try and hide it. Or you can um, choose to live with it. And so really in a bit of a light bulb moment over um, the next couple of days made some decisions that I best just accept my lot in life. And if I'm going to be ill two or three days a week, I best be on my best self for Mm -hmm. those other two or three days a week. And so I decided to, um, you know, uh, start walking, eat better, create a mindfulness practice for myself and, and basically stop beating myself up and stop. um, Yeah. Just being upset about it all the time, I guess. And so over the last few years, that's what I've done. Um, And so the funny thing about this is when I feel well, I feel quite well and I, I'm very good at forgetting that I have this. Right. And over this past three or four years, I have been able to focus more on creating a life that works really well for me. One of the things um, that I know about managing a chronic illness is there's the symptoms of the illness. And then there is the anxiety. And for me, I can end up feeling a great deal of anxiety around like, am I going to get dizzy? What about this? What about that? You know, and really spinning. And so I've just edited my life. I've created a life and a business that is such that I can live with this to the best way possible by, um, you know, sort of taking care of the things that aren't serving me. Right. So people listening might be thinking, well, if you have like these good days and these bad days, well, what happens when you have a really bad day? Do you just push through with your business or do you give yourself permission to like reschedule appointments and, you know, take it easy so that you can, you know, I um, don't struggle with a chronic illness, but I have bipolar disorder. And, you know, sometimes uh, even though I'm on medication, I still have a little ups and downs because I was told by my psychiatrist, unless you want to be a zombie, you're always going to have it. And so, you know, I find I try to give myself permission when I'm depressed to like, take it easy and where I can, right. Reschedule things. And, and there's been times I've, I've had to reschedule guests. Cause I'm like, I'm not feeling good. I'm depressed. And I just can't, can't function today. There's no way I can hold space for an interview. So what do you do? So I do a few things. I have my own lexicon for the kinds of feelings that I have in my body. Cause there's, mm-hmm. I I've not ever really found great um, definitions for it. And so sometimes I feel fuzzy and I somehow know there are times when I can push through and there mm-hmm. are times when I can't. Right. And I over one of an interesting COVID silver lining is <laughs> that Um, So I live in the country. My kids have to travel to get to the school bus. 
Right. And we have to leave home at 7 a.m. To, to get to the school bus. Wow. And what I've realized, what I realized when COVID hit, uh, you know, in March last year, and they spent five months at home, mm-hmm. is there were all kinds of challenges to that. But one of the joys was not having to have that hard start in the morning and that mm-hmm. quickness. And so what I realized is that I can set myself up for success by having a slow start to the morning. So I just don't go quickly in the morning anymore. I never schedule meetings. The earliest I would schedule a meeting is 930. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do things like that in my environment. Um, I like to work at home. I hate, I, I, I do reschedule. I do cancel on people. I don't like to do that. And I try to limit it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. The joy of being able to work at home is I create my schedule in a way that I may be doing this meeting with you right now. And then I've got a 15 or a 20 minute buffer before a coaching call. And so I create that space in my calendar and in my life to allow me for, for those difficult times. I also know over these last seven years that I tend to be more episodic from June until October, November. Oh. Yeah. So I lighten my calendar. Right. And right. back in the early days, I actually put a reminder on my phone one year in October that said in April, remember that you might not feel good. So lighten your calendar. And over time, now I have um, an online business manager, I have a staff person, I have a VA. So I reduce the things, I, I only do the things to the, to the best of my ability that only I can do. Right. right. I, um, what, now that we're in June, by the time we get to July, I'll only work half days. Mm -hmm. So then that way, if I'm not feeling well, you know, I've got, I've got some buffers in there. So it's, it's really about that. It's about, um, um, also really being kind to myself. Um, so like you on those days when you're not feeling well, um, rather than I used to spend a lot of time beating myself up. Mm-hmm. And I've just chosen to be kind and gentle with myself and firm. So the kind and gentle is in those moments. I just give myself grace um, to do what I need to do. And the firm is, and the next day I get up and I go outside and I go for a walk because I know that that's what I need in order to stay mentally and physically healthy. Yeah. I understand that when you were talking about slow start to the day, that's how I am too. If I feel rushed if I uh, feel like I can't, you know, wake up and, and, and enjoy my, like, enjoy my morning, like do my meditation, do some yoga, or if I decide I'm not doing those things, if I just want to lay in bed and scroll Facebook for, you know, half an hour. So I need that slow start. So like, I always wake up about an hour and a half before I have to take my kids to school so that I have that like buffer time. So I don't feel rushed. Like I have to like get all these because mentally it's just, it's not good for me to, to, to feel like that. So I can understand how you would also feel like you need to have that time to be able to, 
you know, start your day without being like, oh my gosh, I have to get these kids to the bus. (laughs) And I just don't do that anymore. So that was the COVID um, silver lining was recognizing that that was a challenge Mm -hmm. and saying to my husband in the fall, when my kids went back to school, I got to tap out. I, I can't do it anymore. And uh, my husband, Scott, is a lobster fisherman. He's a commercial fisherman. And so, you know, we have a great deal of flexibility in our life, except when we don't. And so when lobster season, so all winter, all fall and winter, he just, he did it. He took the kids to school. It it was not a big deal. And then in mid-April, when he was, you know, really full on getting ready to go fishing, and then May and June is, is, is our lobster season, Uh, We're really lucky to have family around. And so his father and uh, his parents uh, agreed to take that on. And so they take the kids to school in the morning. And I'm I'm really grateful for that. Um, And it's not always easy to put yourself first. It's not always easy uh, to say, actually, this is the best choice for my family, even though it doesn't really look like it on on the outside right would you say that your community is really important to you it it sounds like your community is really important these people like you were talking about your in-laws your your husband but also the people who work for you and you know help you do those things I mean maybe tell people why if it is important to you why it is so important Well, I think, yes, Um, I, you know, I I grew up in a small place and community is really important. And, and so is the work that I do. I really love what I do. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, when you ask that question about, um, Like, so for me, you know, like when, when I have to cancel, when I need to do these things, I actually am very careful about the kind of work that I do. And um, especially when I started my business, I could have done a lot of facilitation with big groups, consultations, you know, work with big groups. And I chose not to do that because I felt like if I need, it was too much pressure. If I was going to cancel on, you know, 12 people is really hard to reschedule 12 people. Right. It is not that difficult. If I like, truly, if I had have sent you a message today and said, Megan, I'm really sorry, but I'm not feeling well, could we reschedule? What often happens when someone does that to me? I'm like, great, I've got an extra hour in my day. I didn't think That's I was going to have. Right? Every time somebody is like, I need to reschedule for the podcast. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> exactly. not that I, I want it to happen all the time. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, some days I'm like, you know, that's great. Cause that gives me, like you said, an extra hour in the day, yeah. you know, and I'm really understanding about it. The only time it becomes a problem is when they've re- rescheduled three, four, five, you know, at that point, I'm like, how much come back to me when everything's gone down? <laughs> exactly. And so I think that's the thing is I try to be, I try to put into the world what I hope 
to receive if I need to. And so I do try to make very generous assumptions of other people. I try to be kind and gentle with other people because there may be that time when I need that grace myself. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that as much as we all may look like we're fully functioning grownups, um, we have no idea what's going on in other people's lives. And so that's kind of my strategy. So when you're talking to new clients, um, do you, are you upfront with them about, Hey, I have this, this chronic illness. This is what I live with. There might be sometimes that, you know, I have to reschedule or, you know, that I can't show I, I'm not available. Is that, is that something you say to them? Um, it depends on the engagement. But, you know, here's the funny thing. I did a year long group program in 2020. And I met with these folks every Monday for a whole year. And the only time I canceled was after John Prine died. And he it was a musician who died from COVID-19 and, you know, uh, a hero of mine and someone who was really important to me, even though you know, we've not ever met personally. So the funny thing is I, it actually doesn't impact my clients nearly as much as you would think it does. I really, I think it's good luck. Uh, A lot of times I think I'm lucky. I think, and, and honestly, there was a time in, in, um, Uh, Last year, I was doing an online um, consultation, like a strategic plan with an organization, and I had a dizzy spell in the middle of it. I was almost done, um, and I made the decision that I would just push through. I could do that because it was virtual. I would not have been comfortable doing that if it was um, in person. So I think that I've done a pretty good job of... um, of managing it, but no, I don't lead with it. Now, having said that, I'm writing a book right now um, that's almost done called Playing Herd, an Entrepreneur Survival Guide. And I talk about how to grow your business even when you don't feel like it. Because as much as I live with a chronic illness, I also live with wild ambition. And I have goals that I wanna meet in my life. I um, believe that gender equality can solve all the world's problems. I want to support women to grow their businesses ambitiously. And so I realized that um, in the fall that I actually have all of these strategies. I have all of these skills that had helped me you know, the, like the last year and a half has been a challenge for everybody. I know how to do this, but what I know is that the things that I've worked on over the last four years have helped me bounce back more quickly, have helped me figure out how to create a life and a business that actually works together, that you can do the things that you want to do, even when you don't feel good. So as much as it's not something that I, I have traditionally led with. It's not something I hide. And very soon it will be something that is, you know, out there. So it's not like you make an announcement about it, but it's also not like you're like, I'm hiding this from other people. It just is. 
And I used to hide it from people. Uh, it was something that for many, many years I didn't talk about at all. And I felt a great deal of shame about it. And I can't mm -hmm. even really quite um, explain to you why, um, but I did. And I felt like people might not trust, might not believe I could do the work, might not, you know, all of these. I had really bizarre stories that I told myself. Oh, I understand and that. <laughs> yes. I, I, and, I, and I think that's the thing, you know, there's a stigma. The stigma um, around mental illness is greater than the stigma around physical, like, you know, sort of a physical or chronic, chronic illness. Right. And I know the pressure that I put on myself. And so again, I try to go back to that being, being generous with other people and being generous with myself. But you're also talking about an invisible illness. People don't see it. See, that's a, that's the thing as a, you know, if you can see it, then people are like more understanding of an illness when they can see the signs and they can see the symptoms. But when you present on the outside, like fully function or high functioning human being, then people don't take it as seriously. I feel like there's such a stigma, like not, like you said, around mental health, but also around the quote unquote invisible illnesses like mm -hmm. that people don't see. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I get that, I'll, you know, a lot. I've, I've talked to a lot of people about things like that and they're like, they don't even know, like people don't even know how sick I am. And then I feel like I, I have to push through because like, they're not going to take it seriously. They're going to not going to, you know, so I understand. I can, I can, I can see where you would, feel shame and not want to, to open up about it. But it's such a powerful thing to talk about because other women, other women listening might also be struggling with a chronic illness and, and feeling like, how do I even manage? How do I even function? Hey everyone, over the years I've had people ask how they can support the podcast. So I finally did it. I bit the bullet and I set up my own Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash inspired women podcast. If you would like to support my little hobby, head on over to Patreon. You can join one of the tiers I already have set up or you can do a custom pledge and you can cancel at any point in time. So enjoy the rest of the episode, you know. And I think I think the reality is we all we all have our thing. We all have our thing. And I feel like if we, yeah, so I, I just think we all have our thing. We all have those things that we deal with that are really challenging for us. And I just think the more that, I, I don't know, like I, I, I do feel like it's, it's really weird because I just do it. And I also work really hard at doing the things like I know that stress is a huge, uh, you know, that that impacts me. I focus on um, creating a business that is going to work for me. And I, and I think that's the thing for me is um, I have found a great deal of freedom in being an entrepreneur. I found a great deal of freedom in creating a life that works, creating a business that works, being able to do the things that I really love. I really love what I do. I really love helping women grow their business. I love strategy. I love planning. And I found a way 
to do that, that it doesn't feel hard. And it's not to say that every day, you know, like every moment of every day has sunshine and roses in it. That right. is not the case, but on balance, it feel, it doesn't feel hard. And I think that's because I'm very clear about my vision. I'm clear about where I want to go, what I want to accomplish. And I'm clear about my values. And these are the things that I do uh, because they line up with my core values. And there's all these things over here that I don't do. Um, because it's easier when things are hard to do the things that you love. Right. It sounds like you have very clear boundaries of what, you know, you're like, I love my job. I love all this, but you have set it up to work with you. Right. Not to where you're struggling to try to get the things done, but that you have the capacity to be able to do the things that you want to do. Yeah. And that's not without, um, you know, ebbs and flows and learning things the hard way. I'm very good at learning things the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all (laughs) right. I just try really hard to not relearn the exact same lesson more than once. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I think for me, it's, always adapting, always like looking at, so, you know, in any circumstance, what about that worked? What didn't work? What can I do better? How Mm -hmm. can I make this better um, the next time? And that to me is, is one of the things that helps me be successful in, in what it is that I want to accomplish. Now, have you struggled with like your friends and family understanding, um, you know, the illness that you struggle with or understanding your passion and or understanding your passion for what you do? Um, I know when I was an entrepreneur, um, I'm not built to be an entrepreneur. People yeah. listening to the podcast are well aware of this. I realize I need a boss. I don't, I'm not, I don't have the entrepreneurial spirit. I just, no, I'm not built for it. Uh, but uh, when I had my own business, I found that my, my family had a hard time understanding uh, <laughs> what I was doing and why I was doing it. Um So yeah, all of that. (laughs) Um, So I used to be the executive director for a feminist organization. And before that, I was a project manager at that same organization. Uh, Certainly from my husband's perspective, he's very comfortable not having any idea what it is that I do. Um, he's wildly supportive of what I do, but if you actually asked him today, what does Sarah do? He'd be like, I don't know. Like she helps women grow their business. He probably <laughs> couldn't give you too many more sentences beyond that. Uh, I'm really lucky. I, my, one of my dearest friends, Susan, we've been friends since we were four. Uh, we have lived a whole life of all of the experiences that happen in school and, 
university and our kids are pretty much the same age. Like we have had a lifetime of, of shared experiences and she is an entrepreneur as well. So she's got a lot more experience than me. All those years that I was in the not-for-profit sector, she was working um, as a, a chief financial officer, uh, you know, in the accounting, accounting departments of a number of businesses. She started her own business probably about five or six years ago. And so one of the greatest joys in my life is that I have a dear friend who I am able to talk about all of the things that I worry about, whether that is um, on the personal side or the business side and all of the ways that those things mix together. Um, I, I have really great friendships and really great relationships. And for the most part, they may, they don't see it. I don't know what it looks like from the outside, but I know that I have a great deal of grace from them. And if I'm not feeling well, then I'm not feeling well. And I don't get, I put way more pressure on myself than anyone else puts on me. Um, as certainly an awareness, my hearing is much worse in this last uh, year than it has been. And I struggle to wear my hearing aid because it actually really hurts my ear and causes the tinnitus to be louder. Oh. Um, so I'm trying to figure out, I just, I just had this aha moment the other day. It's like, maybe there are different kinds of hearing aids. So it's on my list. I got to figure this out. Um, but I, with my kids in particular, my kids are 13 and 17. And I think they have an interesting perspective because there are, they see me going they see me very differently, I think, than many people do. Mm-hmm. And they see me as someone who um, is doing and going and pushing and the person who doesn't get out of bed sometimes. And they um, and, 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 and we have a lot of challenges because I don't always hear them. And so my kid, my 17 year old said to me the other day, um, was quite up, quite kind of worried. And they were like, cause I walked away. They were, they were talking to me about something and I walked away and they came back to me and said, did you hear me or were you mad at me? And I was like, oh, I, I didn't hear anything you said. I thought the conversation was over. And so we have to have these interesting navigations around things like that. And I had said, I had said to them in that moment, never assume that I'm mad at you. Sometimes I'm going to be, right. but don't assume that you're much better off to assume that I just didn't hear you. But you must have empowered them in a way to be able to talk to you about it, you know, because some parents, they're they're like, won't apologize to their kids, won't, you know, talk to their kids, like expressing their feelings, they'll shut their kids down. And, And you must have done something right along the way that they felt comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Like, can we clear, you know, clear this up? Can you clarify what happened? Um, and they felt safe and comfortable doing that, that they didn't feel like you were going to get upset with them. Well, thank you for that observation. And yes, I, you know, I think we're, uh, 
we're an open family. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about these days is this idea about sitting with your discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's been a difficult year, um, uh, you know, in terms of COVID, in terms of anti-racism, I'm in Canada where we are really coming face to face right now in, you know, again, with yeah. our the residential schools, with, exactly with residential yeah. schools, our colonial history. And I, I think a lot about that and my work with vulnerable women. Um, I have had a lot of experience sitting with my discomfort Mm. and whether it's sitting with those kinds of discomfort or literally needing to ride through the physical challenges that I'm facing. And I think that when you live in a house with three other people, you can't, I can't hide what's happening. My kids know what's happening with me. And so they perhaps as a result of that, I have had a vulnerability with them that maybe other parents don't. Um, There is no, you know, the stoicism is is not necessarily there um, as a result. I understand living in a household with lots of people. (laughs) I have, I have four kids. Uh, One is living with her dad, her biological dad right now. So three are at home right now. And then my, my husband, and I'm just like, some days I don't want to be around people. And I, like you, you said, you're like, there's no place to hide. They're going to see everything. And I'm just like, some days I'm like, can't I hide? Like, (laughs) Yeah, I just like fine, but no, you'll have like a little person. I say a little person, they're going to be 10. So I I have twins who are 10. And then the daughter of mine who lives with their dad is going to be 12. And then I have an 18 year old. And that one of the twins would end up knocking on my bedroom door if I didn't eventually come out. Like, are you okay in there? (laughs) There's no place to hide. So yeah, and you have to like, you know, I'm very honest with my, my kids about my bipolar disorder. Uh, the little ones don't quite understand as much. Cause I mean, they're still kind of small, but I talk to them about like, this is how I feel. And this isn't like when I'm depressed, I'll just be like, mommy is depressed today. Like, you know, this is what I need. Like, can you give me a little space? Don't be all up in my business, you know, and that sort of thing. So I do think that when you're struggling with an illness and you live in a household with a bunch of people and you can't hide is that you do have to like be kind of open and honest and, and you know have those conversations because otherwise they're just going to be confused and you're just going to get more questions. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's funny. It's not something that I I love to. Uh, we were having a whole conversation about it. I've written a book about it, um, but up until the last six or seven months. It is not something that I've really ever been super jazzed about talking about. Mm -hmm. And yet the people who are around me, like, you know, I think about my, my mom, my, my dad has passed, but my mom lives close by my in-laws, my brother and my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law live, you know, basically in our front yard. I have really wonderful people who support me with, you know, love is a verb. They support me with their actions and they support our family with their actions. And I, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Yeah. I, well, I miss living near family. My husband's job has taken us 
far away from family. I'm the closest to my sister I've ever been, which is still six and a half hours (laughs) of where I grew up. You know, I grew up in a very small town uh, where, you know, these were people that my, my parents had grown up with. Like, so this is like generations. And then I'm, I marry a man whose job took me far away from everybody. (laughs) And now we're, like I said, the closest. So I can, I can understand because growing up in that, that situation where you had everybody around, it is such a blessing that people don't realize they have and they, until like, you don't have it anymore. And then, you know, so it's amazing that you noticed that, but a lot of people like I'm friends with on social media, will be talking about, Oh, grandma's going to be watching my kids. And I'm like, I want to be like, you have no idea how fortunate you are to have grandma there who's going to watch your kids. Um, and I think sometimes people will make comments like, oh, during COVID where, you know, people were out of work and, and they were having a hard time going back to work because their kids were at home and, and not old enough and they couldn't afford childcare. And then you'll see people commenting like, well, they shouldn't depend on, you know, school for childcare. And I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. You live right down the road from your parents who can help watch your kids, but not everybody has that. So I, the needless to say, that's amazing that you see how, how, um, what a privilege that is to be close to family and be supported in that way. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing I'm really aware of. I have a lot of privilege. I have a lot of challenges and I have a lot of privilege and I feel like, um, I, I really focus on um, this idea around you can have pain and suffering or you can have pain and hope. And I choose to have pain and hope. I choose to, to live an optimistic lifestyle. And I know that, you know, some of the privilege that I've been born with allows for that. And I also feel like um, the more you acknowledge your privilege, the more you acknowledge these good things, mm-hmm. really the more good things that, that, right. that come from that, right. It's, it really does. It, it's a bit of a domino. Yeah, no, I, I love that so much. And, you know, sometimes we can't help what we were born with, <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, but we just got to use that for the best, use it for good, use it for good. Uh, but as we wrap up the podcast today, because uh, the time goes by really fast, mm. what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Well, I think the idea that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% your attitude towards it. And we... Uh, you know, I, I, I am an optimist. Um, I think this is just audio. I literally wear rose colored glasses uh, for <laughs> no do. other reason than it makes the world look like a better place. I do believe that when we, you know, so if you're, if you're not feeling it, you know, like if you're just not feeling it, then the frustrating part about your attitude is it is yours to change. And mm-hmm. so you can, um, you can, you can own that. And all you need to do is make that one tiny step. Like everything that I do is it, they're one, they're tiny little steps. 
and four years of tiny little steps results in great things in, in really good things. Um, and, and I know with, as with every fiber of my being that if I had a negative attitude, this is not what my life would look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was told one time, follow the breadcrumbs, Mm -hmm. you know, just follow the breadcrumbs and it'll lead you where you need to be. But I mean, I think sometimes people get so caught up in like the big picture and, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. How am I going to do all these things? And I've been guilty of it too. Like I want to get a PhD and like, when I get like all up in my head, like, oh my gosh, it's so much work. But I'm like, what's the next step, Megan? What do you need to do next? I just got my bachelor's in psychology. So now I'm moving on to my master's Um, just because we don't know my husband's job may not keep us here. And I don't want to uh, change schools in the middle of a PhD program, but like, what's the next step? What do I have to do instead of like looking, I mean, yes, yeah, set goals, but like, instead of being like, Oh, so overwhelmed by all the things you have to do, uh, you can just take that next step to follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. My new favorite thing that I keep talking to people about is, um, you, you don't need to be eight steps ahead. You just need to be one or two. That's it. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.